0: This morning we're continuing uh, to look at Philippians, and we're we'll back in Philippians chapter one. This is our last week there, um, but to be honest, I think to do a real, a really good study of Philippians, you would have to take a lot longer than the 14 weeks that, that we're going to, to to take with it. Um, our passage this morning really deals with about one verse uh, out, of, out of 10. So. Um, Just to let you know, there's so much more that we're skipping over that that we're just kind of glancing through to do this book. Um, Amazing stuff in here. Uh, Hopefully, you get a chance to to continue to study it and to look at it in your own time as well. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 29. And if you would, would you please stand with me as we read God's word? And the following pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your scripture this morning, and that its truth would penetrate into our hearts, and that you would use it to convict and to encourage. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, will actually start at the very end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your accounts. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of your of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that the sake that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. Please be seated. Now, I mentioned that we'll be dealing mostly with one verse, and, and it's this verse, verse 21, which might be perhaps the most well known verse from Philippians For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, Paul is writing from prison. Remember, he's in prison in Rome. And he says that he knows that this will all turn out for his deliverance. He has full confidence. Well, how can Paul be so sure that this will turn out for his deliverance? How can he be certain from deliverance in the situation which he presently finds himself in? Well, to Paul, however this ends, he will be delivered. See, he knows the power of God. We said a few weeks ago... That Paul's joy, really any true joy, is independent of external circumstances. That's what joy is. Joy is independent of external circumstances. We see also here that Paul's deliverance is not dependent on the outcome. Deliverance is not dependent on his outcome. See, if God works all things together for the good of those who love him, well then he means all things See, all things means all. Paul knows that Christ will be honored in his body whether he lives or whether he dies. We'll look at this second one first. See, there's this strong desire by Paul to go and be with Jesus, to just go. Verse 23, he says that, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be with Christ, for that is far better. See, Paul is caught up between these two things. And we might understand this to be, you know, kind of being caught between a rock and a hard place. Except for the fact that he sees both of his options as being good. On the one hand, life for him means fruitful labor. See, Paul's life isn't about Paul, but it's about serving. Yet there's some things that Paul will not be able to do in heaven. You know, Paul will not be able to suffer for Christ in heaven. In heaven there's just going to be no pain. There will be no sorrow, there will be no tears, there will be no suffering. And Paul will also not get the opportunity to evangelize in heaven. There will be no conversions in heaven, no missionary journeys, no no church place. There will be no one coming to faith in heaven. That's a blessing that he only gets to experience here. But Paul also knows that this is true, that being with Christ is far better The commentator R. Kent Hughes says that, that we can be certain that death for the Christian is always far better. Death for the Christian is always far better. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that for now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face, for I know in part now, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. See, from what we can see now, from what we can understand, from the ability of our finite minds to grasp the love of God, we know that there's going to be something great in store for us. We know and believe that Christ loves us, but we can only know in part. And it is when we get to be with Him, that is when we shall fully know what it means to have the love of Christ. We'll be with Christ. Our souls will be forever satisfied with Him. See, death for the Christian is the completion of the work that God has been doing in our lives since the moment that we came to faith. We are justified, sanctified, and finally we will be glorified when we go to be with Christ in heaven. So a Christian death is not a hopeless affair. It's really a joyous celebration. Not that we're celebrating our loss. Because losing somebody is always difficult. It's always really hard to say goodbye. But we celebrate the believer's game. To die is to gain. To be in the presence of the Lord is always far better. And believer, you can and should look forward to being with God. And in some ways, actually, it is easier to die for Christ than it is to live for Him. Why, why, why can we say that? Well, to die for Christ, that's, that's a one-time choice. That's a singular decision. That's one moments, but to live for Him, now that's a decision that is made and remade throughout our entire lives. And there are so many different things that people teach and believe about what it really means to live out in a Christian life. You know, you have to attend church services, you have to know the creeds, you have to memorize the Lord's Prayer, I keep, I keep messing that one up with up. Um, You have to have the right theology, you have to have the proper view perhaps of creation, uh, you have to be a good person, you have to go to Sunday school maybe. There's all these different things that we try to make the Christian life about. And it's not that any of these things are bad, but sometimes we focus on the details and we miss the big picture. We miss out on what it really means to follow Him. So Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing. Now everybody listening to him must have been thinking, okay Jesus, that sounds great, what is that one thing that I have to do? But then Jesus references the cross. But what was the cross? And Remember that this was before the crucifixion of Christ. Well, the cross at this time was the most infamous form of execution that had yet to be invented.
1: And this was not
0: just some common expression. This is a brand new idea. Jesus is saying, to take up your cross. Anyone would immediately understand what he's saying. If anyone would be my follower, he must face execution every day. It must have been shocking to them. See, they didn't really want to believe him. Here was this great teacher, this guy that spun these great stories. He told these amazing parables. Sometimes he did some miraculous things. He might actually, in fact, be the Messiah. But to take up my cross, I don't know about that. It not really sound very fun. But not only that, how often do I have to take up my cross? He says, every day. Last week, I shared with you a little bit about uh, Megan and I's I- engagements, I think. Uh, that got some, some positive feedback, especially from her. Uh, and so, to, I, I don't like to sound, however, and, I, and, and we were, again, we were sophomores in college when we got engaged. Um, not that I necessarily recommend that, but it's not as if we had no idea what we were doing. Okay, so we had been dating for a little while. and um, you know, we'd go on a date out to the coffee shop or go somewhere at night and I'd walk back to her dorm room and, and we'd go to say goodbye. And I could always tell when we'd say goodbye and she seemed a little bit disappointed. Um, and, and, and I never quite figured it out. Well, after we'd been dating for a little, for a little while, and I'll have to ask her for the um, exact details because I'm sure she knows, uh, we, we sat down and had this conversation, it, of which I told her that I loved her. And she shared during that conversation that she'd been dying to say that to me, but didn't want me to have that pressure, right? Um, and, and so she was so excited, which, you know, I don't know why, but she was really excited <laughs> that I said that to her. But then we began to talk a little bit about what does it mean to love? And the reason that I had been kind of holding back a little bit was not because I was unsure of her, but I was unsure of me. In fact, to love, in, in, in my mind, is this love is not a feeling. Okay, love can't just be an emotion. Because if love is a feeling or love is just an emotion, then my emotions will come and go. I'm a very fickle person. You know, I, I changed my mind all the time. But in fact, love had to be a commitment. It was a decision, something that I had to decide, not just that day, but something that I was deciding that day and for every day. That love had to be more than just a feeling. Love was a decision, and a decision that gets remade every day because there are honestly days where I don't feel loving, and yet I'm called to love. See, Paul understood Jesus when he's talking about being crucified daily. In Galatians 2.20, he wrote that I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So to take up your cross daily is to be crucified with him. See, a person who goes to the guillotine does not live after he has been through it. Instead of me, it is Christ alive in me. So what does it mean to truly live? Now, there's this ruin in ancient Carthage that was carved out by a Roman soldier that says, to hunt, to bathe, to play, to laugh. This is to live. And I was, I was thinking about that, thinking, that's interesting. But I would never say, to shower, That is to so live. I know some of you guys actually might say that, though. Um, this was the ideal life for the soldier. To hunt, to bathe, to play, to laugh. And if we made a slogan today, what would, what would ours be? Well, I've seen the, the Buffalo Wings commercial, Right? Um, beer, food, sports. I think a lot of people know how to do theirs. Last night, we were at the Athens Kitty Carnival, having a great time out in Athens, wonderful little place, and I saw a woman with a t-shirt on that said, Baseball is life. Everything else is just details. Apparently, she's a very big baseball fan. Um, Everything else is just the details. So the Roman soldier, this was life for her, that is life for us, we probably have these things. And if we, if we think about them, the things that we get really excited about are probably mostly material things. What does it mean to, to live? Well, a lot of people think that to live is just to be happy. To do the things that I like to do, that is what life should be. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. See, Lewis is saying that if all we do is think about the here and the now, if that's what my life is all about, then it's just going to be ineffective and shallow and hollow. And it's sad. And I don't think any of us wants to feel like that our lives are ineffective or that our lives are hollow and empty. We all need purpose for life. But if my eyes are focused on what is to come, if they're focused on eternity with God, well, that's when we're free to live. So Jesus said, I have come, that you might have life and life in abundance, life with me. And a believer's life on earth is lived out, really, in the shadow of the cross. So the Christian isn't just focused on the here and now. The Christian also looks back to the cross, which is the great sacrifice of Jesus. In 1998, this movie came out. I'm sure you've heard of it. called Saving Tower Anybody seen the movie? My dad took me to see that movie. I was 14 years old. It's the first rated-on movie I ever saw. I begged him to take me. All I thought was... Lots of guns, right? This great movie. And we went into the theater, and this theater is full of World War II veterans. And as the movie goes on, if you ever saw it in a theater, it becomes so incredibly sad. And as you're watching this, uh, the war play out right in front of you, uh, you kind of start to sink a little bit. In fact, when the movie was over, Nobody said a word. There was not a dry eye in the house. Nobody said a word. Everyone just got up and walked into the theater. It was incredible. These tough, grisly guys that I had seen walk into the theater walked out completely different. Well, see, the movie, of course, is, is, is loosely based on this true story. If you haven't seen it, if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a mother who loses three sons in the same week in World War II. And when General Marshall finds out that the 4th is stuck somewhere behind enemy lines, he sends a special task force to go and retrieve her son to bring him home to his mother. Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller, who's assigned this task, and they're given this impossible task of this band of men to go and save this one soldier, and he is not happy about it. If you think about it, it's really immoral that they will risk the lives of many men just to save one. In the last scene of the movie, Captain Miller is there, uh, and he gets shot. And as he is dying, the planes arrive, and and victory is at hand, and many men now have given their lives to the rescue of Private Ryan. But with his final breath, Captain Miller says to Private Ryan, James... Earn this, earn this. The movie then cuts away to the present day. We see James Ryan along with his wife and children and grandchildren standing on the National cemetery in front of the grave of Captain Miller. He walks up to the grave and he says, every day I think of what you had said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I earned what you all have done for me. And my wife walks over to console him. He says, tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. John Benet from The Atlantic was writing about this movie. He wrote, don't we all struggle with Ryan's moral burden? And how can Ryan, or for that matter, any of us, ever pay such a debt? And to whom? Like Private Ryan, we cannot help but ask what we've done to deserve such sacrifice by others and beg their forgiveness for what we have cost them. And like James Ryan, all we can do to justify that sacrifice is to live our lives as well as we are able. See, don't we all struggle with that moral burden? How can we pay such a debt? What did we do to deserve such a sacrifice? And do we understand what it cost? There's a hymn by Ellis Prim, which, which begins He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe the debt I could not pay. You see, our greatest debt is not to those who have laid down their lives on the battlefield for us, but it is to the God who paid the debt that he did not owe, because I owe the debt that I could not So he went to the cross. He died on that cross for my sin and for yours. And what did I do to deserve it? Well, nothing. And what can I do to justify that sacrifice? Well, I cannot ever justify it. What can I do to repay him? Nothing. And what did it cost him? Well, it cost him everything. And why did he do it? Not because he was coerced. Not because he was commanded. The scripture says, because he loved us. See, ben- Ben-Yah wrote, all we can do to justify that sacrifice is to live our lives as well as we are able. And I understand what he's saying, but this isn't really a 100% truth. You know, we can never justify that sacrifice, but the thing is, we don't have to. See, on the cross, Jesus did not whisper, earn this. He said, it is finished. See, he knew that there was no way he could earn it. That's why he went there. But in the cross, there's freedom. Freedom from sin and death and freedom to a life of joy. Freedom to know the true meaning of life. Well, this then is life. Life is Christ. So Paul is saying, do you know what he did for you? Do you understand who he is? Do you understand who you are? I'm saved by the death of Christ. I will soon be with Christ. Therefore, the life that I live, I live with Christ. See, because of that, we can then understand the words of these saints that have gone before us. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, the father of German Protestant mission, said that I have but one enthusiasm it is he, only he. Charles Ellicott wrote that my body is the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. Upon the close of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says that therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Before the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, looking to Jesus, we can know life. Not a life lived out of fear, and not a life lived out of guilt, trying to earn Christ's sacrifice, which we can never do, but a life lived and filled with the love of Christ for what He has done for us and for what we can never repay Him. See, this is life. To live, to live is Christ. Everything else is just the needless. Let's pray. Father God, as we prepared to come to your table this morning, Lord, we are reminded of the great sacrifice that you have made for us. God, not that we have done anything <clears throat> to deserve it, in fact, Lord, if anything, we have run from you. We have gone away from you. Lord, we have sinned against you. And yet, Father, you sent your Son to be an atonement for sin. To die on our behalf. To pay the debt that we could not pay. Lord, we are grateful for that. Remind us of that this morning. We pray in Christ's name.